October the 12th, 1985 was, was a famous day, and I don't know a single thing happened on that day other than this episode of Mid-South Wrestling. Stuart Roberts and Mark Dundell are here, and we are going straight into the action. Boyd Pierce and Bill Watts are at the desk. And to start the show, Jim Duggan is with them with a red shirt on that is showing a lot of man cleavage. So, Stu, back in your party days, what was your usual level of buttons undone on a night out? Three. At least three two. buttons. At least three. T- okay, three spines. A so top button, second button, third button. Yeah. With a bit of chest hair out as well. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I do my say bright- that. Sorry, go on. No, I was going to say my uh, in my very bright orange and yellow shirts that you used to wear at the time, that was yeah. very fashionable. So, um, so yeah. yeah. Late Three 90s, buttons. early 2000s, all about peacock. And I, I would say that the third button is what I call party button. So, Mark, over to you. Uh, uh, uh- not got as much chest there to show as Stu, so I, <laughs> I was just a top button undone. I think I'm a one button guy. Ah, okay. Yeah. Even when it's like getting a bit, 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 bit grimy in a club at two a.m. Maybe I in think like even then, yeah. yeah? Okay, as long fine, as the fine. shirt is very bright coloured and very baggy, I didn't mind <laughs> yeah. about the button situation. Yeah, baggy was a thing that I wish was. I guess it's probably more back now, but the last few years of like slim fit things and stuff especially in lockdown it's like most of my clothes don't fit me anymore i've got so many wrestling t-shirts i'll never be able to wear again which is very very sad um right back on to mid-south boyd ran down the card the mid-south tag team champions would be would be here buzz sawyer dick slater great plus el casario and bill dundee versus jake roberts and jim duggan what said they will be talking to duggan shortly but first i have an announcement the barbarian has mysteriously disappeared oliver humperdinck is claiming a parking lot situation and then they moved on to talk about the North American title, uh, you know, the overall angle with that and the ongoing storyline set up a future challenger for Ric Flair. So before we get onto that, I can confirm that the Barbarian, the future Berserker, was no more in Mid-South at this point. And that's a bit of a sad story because I was quite a fan of his. He went on off to do the Tag League tournament in New Japan through November and December 1985. And then he returned and spent the next eight months in the AWA. Um Mark, any thoughts on the exited, is that a word, barbarian, before we move on? No, similar to you, I was a fan of what I saw of him, and I think he was, you could tell he was an experienced, pairing him up with Jake Roberts certainly must have done him some good, and yeah. he was. He, you could see some improvement in his work, and uh, that that was that. Yeah, Stu, any thoughts on the exiting no, barbarian? No, not, not, not a massive amount to add to that. Uh, I've just noticed that I've been tagged in uh, um, uh, like a wrestling card on Twitter um, that people tend to tag me in things to do with Mid-South and UWF and Sting has liked it, which is interesting. Very interesting. Anyway, perhaps not that interesting, actually. Uh, right, back to the show. Uh, where are we? What's through to Jim Ross standing alongside Ric Flair and Alexandria? Ross talks about the controversial situation Flair had created, and he reiterated that he would not defend the NWA World's title against anyone other than Mid-South North American champion. He didn't care who it was. He was the man who dictates the scene around the wrestling world. Um, I didn't think this was classic Flair. This was, you know, a local promo at the end of probably doing 100 of these. Shoe, any thoughts on this brief Ric Flair appearance? I liked it. I liked it. Uh, I... <laughs> Good. Good. <laughs> <laughs> A bit controversial today. Um yeah, I just thought it added, it added some intensity into the into the North American title situation. Um, you know, because 
when you go through the mid south card there's probably like seven or eight wrestlers that you could say could probably you know no warrant being that 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 champion and stuff like that although bill watts did say at the end that rick fled does not get to pick his matches but yes i just i just liked it it added a bit of spice into the mix hadn't it really so um you know and and, and when he does come to the you know to fight it's uh you, you know it'll, it'll have a bit of intensity to it yeah mark what do you think of the flair promo here yeah like stuart said bill watts listed that there were seven or eight possible contenders for flair's title from mid-south but flair in the promo itself only mentioned three by name which were dick murdoch butch reed and jim duggan uh besides that i, I noticed how striking it is that Ric Flair looked the same for around 20 years, from 1982-ish to 2002-ish, and then he suddenly began to age very rapidly yeah. after that. It's true. Um, as you said, back at the desk, Watts protested Flair's stance here and said that basically he couldn't pick who he faced. He turned to Duggan and referred to a contest between him and Flair for the world title in Alexandria, and they threw to a clip. And this was odd because this was in, de- du- this was in direct contradiction with what Flair had said about defending the title only against only the North American champion, as Dick Murdoch was the champion at the time. Flair and Duggan did three matches all that. Crikey, I can't. I've had two sips of Desperados and can't speak. Um, Flair and Duggan did three matches that year all in Alexandria, with the last ending in a DQ a couple of weeks before this television taping. Uh, we had Watson Duggan commentating on this, with Duggan calling the figure four a fancy Dan move. And we saw the reversal, plus Flair slapping the referee. Uh, this was just a bit of nonsense, really. Duggan was caught off guard and thought he'd won the title, which was really stupid, given he hadn't pinned or submitted to Flair. I mean, he'd only been wrestling for God knows how long at that point. Then the match carried on, which was weird as well. And then Duggan talks about another DQ after some action on the floor, yet they carried on again. Duggan tries to go for his spear, and then Flair pulled the referee in the way. And we got I even got a slow motion of this. Of course, this eventually led to the disqualification. And this must have been a wretched era for the local baby face, fans of the local baby face. There must have been so many local, so many rubbish finishes like this. I didn't like this presentation at all. Mark, what do you think of this uh, snippet of a world title match between Duggan and Flair? Yeah, nobody likes a disqualification finish, obviously. But I thought it the way they did that finish did look good. How Flair pulled referee Tommy Gilbert in front of him right as Duggan had gone for the big tackle and the timing was excellent. But yeah, I don't know why they didn't just do that rather than the other stuff. Like, talk about about overbooking it. Um, Shu, what do you think of this? Um, Yeah, I I always find uh, the Mid-South episodes are the most interesting when they bring in a bit of bonus footage. So I I quite enjoyed watching this. It got me thinking, like, you know... um, how many times has Duggan wrestled 25, 30 minutes in his, in his career? Do you know what I mean? It's he, 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 when he was in his WWE, he was never the one for the, the long, the long stellar matches. I, I, I like the fact that Jim, he, his, Jim Duggan provided a bit of over commentary on that and, and how he reflected on his, his sort of like inexperience in a world title match and how he made mistakes and things like that. I thought that was quite, um, you, you know, that was good to hear actually. Mm. I, I like that. Um, um, so I then started to think, right, I need to, I need to do a bit of research. So I was trying to work out how many world title matches did Duggan actually get in his career, uh, but swiftly gave that that up because I was struggling to find That's him. quite a hard search on cage yeah, match. Yeah, so then I was actually thinking, <laughs> is or was Hacksaw Jim Duggan one of the longest baby faces in wrestling history? And Because uh, I, I don't recall him being a heel at any point in his career from Mid-South through to, to WWF and so on and so forth, you, you may tell me I'm wrong. Did he turn um, in WCW at all? 
Well, yeah. th- well, this is this is the one thing. So anyway, he did turn heel. This is where I did a bit of research. So near his near the end of his career in WCW, um, he became involved in in a storyline which involved him turning heel by abandoning his his patriotic gimmick for a short time to join Lance Storm and his stable at Team oh. Canada. And apparently this was the first time that Duggan had worked as a heel since breaking away from the Rat Pack in Mid-South Wrestling. So I reckon that's probably, you know, a good, a good what, 13, 14 years as a face? I'd say more than that. That was 2000, I remember the Team yeah. Canada thing, yeah. So I'm trying so to think... 17 there, years, that would be, wouldn't it? So I'm trying Rat to think Pack. out of all, all wrestling, has there been a... Uh, 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 a wrestler that's been a baby face for a longer period of time. What's Cena's run? When did Cena turn face? 2003? 2000, yeah, 2003. Yeah. So what are we now? So that's that's not as long, is it? That's only 14. 14 years, is that right? Uh, Ricky Steamboat, did he ever turn heel? Not that I'm aware he was of. around no. from the 70s till the mid-90s. Yeah, it? he's probably the one. The thing with Steamboat's career that's odd is he had quite quite a few gaps in there, I think. So, and not that that makes too much of a difference, really. But, yeah, Steamboat probably is the one. I can't think of any other just pure babyface the yeah, whole time. Yeah, I was just time. thinking, it's just been an interesting point to to, to talk through because I, I was really struggling to think of anyone. I mean, you know, you know, you, you know wrestlers have, had, uh, have longevity like The Undertaker and stuff like that. And although they turned heel, I mean, they were, still certain crowds but they still turned heel didn't they mm, yeah um and, and I, I was just really struggling i was really struggling to think of any 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 characters that have been like uh you know like you call a, a baby face for more for more than 10 consecutive years it was a bit of a, that, bit of a challenge um, but maybe some maybe some of your listeners might throw in some some names that hacksaw thing in wcw was classic wcw of the time where he joined team canada he cut all his hair off, he shaved his beard, and then they went on TV in a Team Canada tracksuit, and it was a case of, all right, what next? And they had nothing. That was it. Yeah, yeah. So. Uh, I've just thought of one. Jushin Thunder Liger, I don't think he ever turned heel. Uh, and he was around from... Um, I'll get this wrong. He, he, he probably 87, 88, and what, retired 2020... So was he the Liger be? character in 87, 88, was he? Uh, I think so, yeah, because he was somebody else first. Yeah, um, he wrestled in England as uh, Sammy Lee in the early Yeah, years. yeah, that's exactly right, yeah. I don't know when the Liger thing started, I've no idea. Um, I'll have a look at that while we're doing uh, the next, uh, while you guys are doing your next sort of run-through, I'll have a look at that and come back to it. Um, right, so uh, where are we? So in the ring, as the segment was finishing, Buzz Sawyer was shouting at Duggan, as what's reminded him of the rules that if you're at the desk, you can't get involved in the action. Otherwise, it's a $2,500 fine. After the break, we had Sawyer versus Mike Nichols. Sawyer was very upset uh, before this one, getting in, right in poor Nichols' face and asking him to put on the dog collar, which apparently, according to Watts, was Sawyer's speciality match. Watts said Sawyer lives with dogs and is sometimes more animal than man. Sawyer hit his impressive fallaway slam from the ropes in 102. A post-match, Sawyer tries to put the dog collar on, but referee Carl Fergie convinced him that was a bad idea, and that was that. I'm not sure what you could possibly add to this, but have a go, Stu. Uh, again, it was just all power, wasn't it, as per last week? I, I thought there were some pretty brutal forearm smashes to the back of the head. Um, and, I, and again, the power slam off the second rope. Um, I, I really do like that move, So, but... but... There's not a lot you can say in a minute and nine seconds. No. Uh, uh, Mark? 
Yeah, I also um, used the word brutal describing some of what went on. Um, after Sawyer got Nichols flat on his back, uh, sorry, flat on his front, uh, Sawyer brutally rubbed his face in the mat and then he hit those very snug forearms to the back of the neck that looked very bad. Um, finished, yeah, it was the same as last week, which does look very cool, but it crossed my mind that it could be problematic if the ropes are a bit loose. Uh, his footing was a bit precarious here before he luckily connected with it as intended, but if there was some loose ropes and he's trying to turn over and rotate, that could uh, cause an issue maybe. It's funny you say that because I'd noticed on the last episode and on this episode, the ring ropes seemed a little bit slack. Yeah. I don't know if that was just me. Well, or when not, he's, got, he's got his weight and he's lifted up the other guy, that's a yeah. lot of weight balanced on those two feet in the, in the corner yeah. there. Um, I'm just looking at Jushin Thunder Liger. I think he debuted that character in 89. So he was he was a face, but not playing the same characters. I'm not sure if that counts or doesn't count. But yeah, he was he was he was Thunder Liger. The only bit I'm a little bit unsure of is that he had he did have like kind of a kind of darker alter ego, Kishin Liger, which he had he did, he did bring back in his final I've run seen, against. Uh, I've seen to, photos of that. He didn't yeah. have he, he was uh, shirtless and that, and I think it was white rather than red, wasn't it? Exactly. Um, in the Minoru Suzuki feud towards the end, he was still a, he was still a face in that. And I think I think he was still a face in the earlier runs. Someone correct, please do correct me. I think it's more of a kind of Finn Balor demon thing rather than full on heel. But so I think that's so I think that's right. So probably that's twenty two years. Um, but yeah, uh, back to mid south. Uh, did you both comment on that? You did both comment. We on did. That, you? Yeah, yeah, we did. Crikey, uh, Desperados, one third of a bottle can't even can't get it together. <laughs> Um, Watts said that during the break, Sawyer challenged Duggan to a dog collar match, but now things are under control. And now a video on Wendell Cooley set to the tune of If Heaven Ain't A Lot Like Dixie by Hank Williams Jr. So Cooley is on a horse to start, puts on a cowboy hat. I don't like the song. In ring, he's smashing someone with a mask. Nice gallop on a horse. The song is dreadful. He's in ring, punching one man gang, I think at Texas Stadium. More in in ring action. The song is hurting my brain. Cooley is hanging out and then trying some lasso. Big bulldog and a nice drop kick. Now he's riding a horse by a pond. Please don't fall in, Wendell. He's too smart for that. Now a nice shot of him on the horse. He takes his hat off and runs his hand through his hair. Sexy. They show him winning the titles and then Wendell in front of an American flag. Then in the kid's playground on a little ride thing with a kid. Horse is back now. Now he's loading a gun. Oh, no, not that horse. Thankfully, he's fired it at the target. The horse is safe and it's over. Um, I didn't think this was Joel's best work, and I'd say a lot of that might have been down to the song. Uh, Mark, what did you think of this Wendell Cooley video? Well, um, there was a that clip you mentioned of him wrestling one man gang, it was in an outdoor stadium on a sunny day, and it definitely caught my attention. I didn't know where it was, but you just said Texas Stadium, that seems to make sense. Um, and then he was checking all the boxes, I thought, for the cowboy stereotype, he was riding a horse, he was doing some lasso practice, he was gazing across fields with a piece of straw hanging out of his mouth and so on. But it didn't feel authentic to me. His body was all rigid and stiff when he threw that lasso and there was a cut between him doing it and retrieving the rope from where it's mm. landed. So I think there might have been Ammo some magic tricks. there. Yep. And mostly it was the fact that he was doing it all in a pretty nice per- bright purple Lacoste uh, for polo shirt. <laughs> the, the Cowboys ch- choice. Uh, Stu, what do you think of this? Yeah, I picked up on the purple Lacoste shirt. So, uh, um, yeah, again, it, it, yeah, 
it was a bit cringy, <laughs> I thought. So, but can I give you another interesting music fact while I'm on, a, I'm, yes. on, I'm on yeah. a roll? So if I, Heaven Ain't A Lot Like Dixie by Hank Williams Jr., um, you don't hear this very often, but it was actually a B-side uh, single that actually charted. Now, it's not very often you hear B-side singles charting, So, um, uh, but it was released off his 1982 album High Notes, which was his 34th album release. There you go. Oh, okay. so, uh, do you have all 34 back catalogue music to go at? Do you have all, all 34 in your collection? Uh, uh, I've got, uh, I, I'm still looking for the first one, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, how, do, how does that work? If if record sales are record sales, then the B-side sold as many as the A-side because it's the same record, isn't it? Uh, but whether it was officially released in the charts, so this is actually charted. Yeah, whether it's radio plays or whatever. Yeah. Uh, thereafter, it was Gypsy Joe and Brody Chase versus the Tag Team Champions. Um, so the title match with DBS and Williams that was being speculated on last week did not happen. Our heroes are wearing nice white headbands and got a decent reaction from the crowd. Uh, one of the worst slingshots I've ever seen at 60 seconds here is Chase went flying into the middle rope, uh, middle turnbuckle, and then suplex for the win by the champions. Nothing much here, and I really would have liked to see these two in something more substantial. Stu, anything to add on this short match? Um, like you, the first question I said is, why did DiBiase and Williams not have a tag team title match, as that was alluded to in the last episode? Well, spoiler but... alert, I think we're getting it next week. Oh, okay. Oh, cool. Um, I just put a lovely backflip on Gypsy Joe. Um, I thought at the end of the match, there was a bit of a weak drop kick at the end by from Wendell on Gypsy Joe. Hardly made any contact, but credit to Gypsy Joe. He sold it like a pro. There you go, a bit of... Bit of bit of rhyme in there for you as well. Ah, very good, Mark. Uh, I've got very little on the match itself, but as you know, I'm a big ECW fan, and um, I immediately recognised Gypsy Joe as one of the guys that ECW legend New Jack almost went to prison for assaulting during oh, a wrestling no. match. Uh, <laughs> there was a few of those, but one of them was with Gypsy Joe. A little bit of story there. In 2003, they had a match in a tiny high school gymnasium. And the then 69-year-old Joe had a reputation for no-selling his opponent's offence. Couple that with New Jack's reputation of losing his temper when opponents don't sell his offence. Uh, it was a recipe for disaster. So after a brutal mess of a match, New Jack was legitimately arrested for assault with a weapon. The weapons involved uh, included a chain, a baseball bat wrapped in barbed wire, and a few other things that Jack was able to find lying around. Uh, the incident was discussed in length on New Jack's Dark Side of the Ring episode and a few of his shoot interviews since 2003. Um, Gypsy Joe's final match was in 2010, the week after his 77th birthday. Wow. wow. When he was flo they flew him out to Japan for a match with former WWE tag team champion Yoshihiro Tajiri. Wow. So I was particularly going to keep an eye on whether Joe would sell for the tag team champions here on the show. He did bump around a lot for Cooley before he tagged out. And um, his partner, Chase, who I found on my research was a rookie here. He looked pretty uneasy running the ropes, I thought. But um, yeah, the match ended with that German suplex, which always looks great. Yeah, absolutely. Um, after the break, Watts said that he'd known Dick Slater since 1973 in Florida. And he doesn't know what the relationship is between Dick and Dark Journey. But Dark Journey has done a video for Slater. And after this, apparently, we're going to have an opinion about their relationship. So <clears throat> let me just clear my throat for this. This was set to Dress You Up by Madonna. And we had Miss Journey dancing along with just her head showing. Then a wide shot as a cameraman followed her around. 
little spin, nice move from Journey. She's having a nice time. More dancing, and I'm not sure the point of this. Wide shot, more dancing, another just adequate spin. I like the song this time, but not sure where this is going. Is it going anywhere? Journey is still dancing, and I guess Dick Slater really likes slow, kind of average, but passable dancing, and that's his genre. At the end, we saw the video playing on a TV with a clock and what looked like a control room in the background. Then it all faded to black. I really don't know at this point what I'm doing with my life. Mark? Um, in his introduction, Bill Watts said, I think after you see this video, it's going to make you have an opinion on their relationship. So I grabbed my popcorn and dived in. I, I like the song. I really like that. The song was great. Dancing. Yeah. But I didn't gain any kind of opinion on Dark Journey and Dick Slater's relationship after watching it. So I think we were a bit misled there. Shoot. Um, no, uh, it was. It's always been one of my favourite Madonna songs. Actually, dress you up. Quite, I've always liked that song. I ran out. I ran out a bit of steam with my music research by this point. So, uh, so forgive the lack of facts. The fact that this got to number eight in the Iceland music charts. But uh, apart from nice, that, uh, nice, nice, nice. Um, I, I said what you said, Stephen. It, I'm not really sure what that video was designed to accomplish, no. but it really didn't accomplish anything apart from listening to a good song. No, uh, and in the ring afterwards, Miss Journey had a new blonde hairdo and Dick Slater's up against Steve Constance. Um, I've written a terrible joke here, which I feel embarrassed. Basically, I'm going to say it. His favourite TV show of all time is Countdown. He just doesn't like the vowels. Constance's arm went down oh, three times. Seriously? <laughs> in 2.30 of OK Action. Oh, she anything to add on this? Um just to reiterate my previous comments, I really don't get the unpredictable gimmick. Um, no. Steady match. Uh, yeah, decent sleep hole, but actually I quite like the way at the end he just sort of like gave him a good old slap to wake him up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, apart from, that, um, apart from that, not not a huge amount to uh, to go at. Right, Mark, what do you think of this? Um, well, I disagree with Stuart. Last week he won with the butterfly suplex. This week it was a sleep hole. So the unpredictable nickname is accurate as at this point. Um, you never know how he's going to win his matches. Um, yeah, I didn't think about that. I didn't uh, make any comments on the match itself. It was a Dick Slater match. Um, but the very unusual post-match, which you referred to there, um, it put him to sleep and then the referee started yelling at Slater to wake him up again. And Bill Watts was doing the same on commentary. I've never seen that happen before, but being used to UFC referees quickly reviving fighters who have been knocked out or put to sleep, it struck me as odd that Carl Fergie was sat there yelling at the wrestler to do the job. Um, it, it was it was odd, I thought. And Watts described how dangerous the sleep hold is by mentioning the time a wrestler demonstrated it to a talk show host who dropped to the floor and got yes. 21 stitches in his head. Yeah. That was a real-life incident when Hulk Hogan, of all people, put uh, chat show host Richard Belzer to sleep live on air in March of 1985 when he and Mr. T were on the show to promote WrestleMania. But that was from a front face lock. Uh, the whole confrontation is on YouTube, should any listeners be curious as to what Watts was referring to there. He hits the deck hard in that. I've seen that. I've seen it yeah, the 21 yeah. stitches yeah. was real. You could see the blood coming out the back yeah. of his head as he... Uh, Carried on hosting. I bet Hogan's uh, rear end was uh, flapping a bit when he when that happened because uh, you know it was it was just at the point of becoming a superstar there. But 
Yeah, so um, after the break was the team of Humongous and the Nightmare subbing in for the Barbarian versus Tony Falk and Don Turner. Sounds like something out of home and away there, Don Turner. Um, Humperdinck got on the microphone and said that the Barbarian was attacked by Jake Roberts on the streets and he has criminal charges pending, but he's not sure if he's going to bother taking him to court. And um, The Nightmare is here and he is going to get Jake Roberts. He added Humongous has been playing around so far and everyone is going to see a new dimension of him. And Tony Fort was busted wide open at 90 seconds in this by being slammed into Humongous's mask. And then he put on the Shinomaki in 153 and that was it. The blood on Tony Falk's face looked a little bit like someone had squashed a chocolate mousse over him, but I suspect that might have just been the weird contrast in this old video. And I really feel bad at this point um, for even asking. Mark, what do you think of this? Um, well, first of all, you, you did a, a line there about Don Turner sounding like he was from home and away. Yes. Five points if you can remember the name of the headmaster from home. Uh, it was Donald, Donald something, Stewart. Was it? No, nope. Donald Stewart. Uh, You're no, thinking of Alf Stewart. Alf Stewart. Donald. Oh, Donald Fisher. Yeah. Correct. Oh, wow. Stu's got it. Yeah. Very good. Yeah, and do you know good. who was playing? And and for an extra five points, I could tell you the actor that played him as well. I should know that. I don't know. Norman Coburn. He married yeah, Marilyn right. in, the, in the show, didn't he? Did he? Yeah. 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 Okay. And she married Matthew Letizia in real life. And is I that think was... that is that Marilyn that appeared in Emmerdale. Yeah. yeah. I think she's with Shane Warner as well for a time, wasn't she? I think. Possibly, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Right, uh, what were we talking about? Wrestling. Um, Wrestling, yeah. Making a referee look inept and stupid, as you know, Steve, is one <laughs> of my biggest pet peeves in wrestling. And often when there is an example of that, as happened here, there is an obvious alternative that could have been done to avoid it. So in this match, Humperdinck climbed up on the apron and loaded something into Humongous's mask while the referee stood and watched him do it. I, th- I just thought to myself, why didn't Humongous climb down so they could do it away from the referee's line of vision or have the nightmare distract the referee in the opposite corner while Humperdinck jumped up and loaded the mask? It was it was silly. Hmm. But, um, yeah, Fork, Fork um, Mr. Colombo got good colour, though, uh, which made for a good visual as Humongous finished him off with a press slam, which I, I always enjoy seeing. And then I called it a Cobra Clutch, but you called it the uh, Japanese name, which is more impressive. <laughs> um, Shear, any thoughts on this one? Um, yeah, um, oh, Tony probably has the most unfortunate surname in, in, in professional wrestling. I wouldn't want to get that wrong on a broadcast. Um, so I, I did a bit of research on Humongous. You might you might already know this anyway. Um, but but do you know what that character was based on? I don't know. No, no. no. Is it from Mad Max? It was. It was from the 1981 movie Mad Max to the Road Warrior um, or Lord Lord Humongous, shall I say. But interestingly, I found out that um, that apparently Sid Vicious and Scott Hall have also had stints as Lord Humongous. I think when Scott Hall was in Florida Championship Wrestling. Oh, I know that. Like that. Yeah. So, um, but I thought it was, a, it, it was a nice bit of brutal juicing from from Tony. Um, um, and yeah. Apart from that, not 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 really much. I think I spent more time researching the facts than I did probably watching that match. <laughs> I, did read, I did read somewhere once that Mad Max um, birthed more characters used in wrestling than any other movie in history because you obviously had both of the Road Warriors, you had Lord Humongous, and there's lots more that I can't think of off the top of my head, but I think characters like Luna Vachon were based on characters from the film. Was I've never Tina... seen it myself, so I don't know. I, I, you know, I've never, I was just about to say that I've never seen a Mad Max film, but was, wasn't Tina Turner in a Mad... Didn't, didn't they do um, yeah, Beyond, Beyond the, the Thunderdome? Thunderdome, yeah. Yeah. 
we don't need another hero. That was it. Beyond while right. we're on the yeah, we digress. So is that where the WWE got the name Thunderdome from then? I'm guessing it was. Crikey. Very current. Very um, cutting edge. Yeah, current, very current. Um, next up, Ted DiBiase versus Nick Patrick. Yeah, so that Nick Patrick, who was wearing a sparkly black and blue ring jacket. Did it, either of you have any idea that this guy was a wrestler before he became a referee? I, I put blew my mind. Yeah. I never knew it. Absolutely blew my mind. And thought yeah. he was pretty decent, actually, as well, to be fair. Yeah. I don't know how I knew it before. I seem to remember when he was a referee in WCW because he actually had a match on pay-per-view against Chris Jericho. And I think it was referred to he had wrestled in the past before right, the okay. But it became, um, it was quite a bit in the news quite recently. His, his father, the is it the assassin Jody Hamilton, passed away recently. And there was a bit of talk there about his son following, following him into so, the business. So my rhetorical question to that is, is why was his match against Earl Hebner so crap? Good point. Um, well, probably because Earl Hebner was in it, I imagine. Um, Nick Patrick wrestled pretty regularly through uh, the, the years before this in Continental and Mid-Atlantic. Um, but a knee injury in December 85 cut his career short at 27. Uh, unsurprisingly, this is the best wrestling on the show so far due to DiBiase. I thought Patrick was pretty solid as well, as Mark said. At the 4.26 mark, unfortunately, of all people... Bob Sweetan attacked Williams on the outside and then punched DiBiase in front of the ref. And this eventually, after time stood still, led to the DQ in 4.45. And I really hope to never have to see this bloke again. I think I'm, I'm hoping that's it for him. They cut DiBiase after he grabbed the mic uh, and the show went to break. Um, Stu, what did you think of this match? Um, yeah, I actually, I do you know what? I quite like this match because I was just, my mind was blown, literally. Um, I, I thought Patrick did some lovely scoop slams. Um mm. Uh, again, I, 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 we've used the word before, but brutal turnbuckle shots on forearm smashes from DBRC. The thing I like about DBRC is, is that, and, and it's a bit like Jake the Snake as well, he always lets his opponents get some shots in. Do you know what I mean? He, yeah. he, they never squash matches either. They're not like over in a minute. So, um, you know, um, I, I thought a lovely back suplex from DBRC. I love the way he pulled him up instead of pinning him. But obviously then they went on to say, well, he could, he could regret that. Uh, and then obviously Patrick made a, Made it made a little bit of a comeback there, uh, getting out the figure four, and then like you say, the the running and stuff like that. But actually, with the running, I, I would say that uh, Bobby he, he did some really aggressive punches to DBRC and Williams. I thought that was quite they were quite that was quite good actually. So um, um, yeah, so yeah, I think actually probably the best best match on the card I think so far. Yeah, definitely, Mark. What do you think of this? Yeah, Ted DBRC, and I say this every time I'm on the podcast. He's my favorite wrestler in Mid South. Uh, there wasn't much, uh, a lot to it, I didn't think, but he was constantly screaming at the crowd throughout the match and that kept them um, a, a high tempo of crowd reaction. And like Stuart pointed out, he gave Patrick a decent uh, comeback consisting of three big body slams in a row before he took back control of the match. And Bob Sweetan, to be fair to him, did get a big reaction when he came out to attack DBS in Williams. Yeah, pity. Um, next up, our television main event of El Casario and Dutch Mantel versus Jake Robertson, Hacksaw, Jim Duggan. Uh, at 3.40, Mantel went to whip Duggan, but Duggan caught it. Roberts DDT, and that was it in four minutes and four seconds. Um, I thought this was fine, but no more. The DDT is over, and so is Jake. Uh, Mark, what did you think of this one? Well, Bill Watts did an incredible line on commentary. Um he brought up the subject of Dutch's whip, saying, my daddy said, don't take something to a fight that's not chocolate because you might have to eat it. Uh, <laughs> yes, I think yeah. I sort of get what he means, but it's not 
playing the obvious, but yeah. Um, it was a good atmosphere, as you'd expect, with Roberts and Duggan in there, as they are arguably the two most popular baby faces at this point. Uh, it was a really great finish. Mantell and Duggan having a tug of war over the bull rope. And as Duggan pulled Dutch towards him, he stepped aside as Jake stepped into position to grab the head and hit the DDT. I thought that was really well done. Yeah, indeed. Stu, what do you think of this one? Uh, yeah, I just put, um, th- this is when I first clocked, when I when I saw El Casari and I thought, oh, I recognise that that sort of like stance and and that that frame and stuff like that. And that's when I twigged then um, um, uh, the Savio Vega link and stuff like that. But um, I just saw great power from Haxel Jim Duggan slamming El Casario. Um, uh, yeah, and, and again, I've used the word again, a brutal DDT from Jake the Snake. So um, yeah, and that was it really. And that is it. Um, that is it. That's the end of the October 12th, five episode. Um, again, I don't think it's a particularly inspiring show. Uh, and we are back in the doldrums a little bit at the moment after some good few, uh, some good stuff a few weeks ago, to be fair. Um, final thoughts on this week's show, Mark? Well, I know WWE snapped up a lot of talent uh, in the years that followed this from a lot of different territories in the mid to late 1980s. But I doubt there were, I, I suspect there weren't this many folks uh, that went from Mid South that ended up later on in, in WWE. I doubt there were that many in world class or continental in 1985 that made it all the way to the top of the industry. In this show alone, we saw Bill Watts, who went in the Hall of Fame and worked backstage. We saw Jim Ross, Jim Duggan, Ric Flair, Oliver Humperdinck, Ted DiBiase, Steve Williams, Nick Patrick, Jake Roberts, El Casario, Dutch Mantel all in years that followed, went to WWE and uh, and were quite successful there. Um, and then besides that, the music videos for Wendell Cooley and Dark Journey were put, I thought they were put together to a high standard as usual, but they didn't tell us much about those individuals, despite Bill Watts claiming that's exactly what they would do. Yeah, indeed. Stu, final thoughts? Definite improvement on last week's episode. Um, I really enjoyed the 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 Hacksaw Jim Duggan Ric Flair uh, footage. Um, the uh, again, like Mark, the video packages. I'm not really sure what they actually achieved, um, but again, just a, another shout out for Madonna's "Dress You Up." Uh, um, I, I enjoyed the um, I enjoyed the Ted DiBiase and Nick Patrick uh, Matt, Patrick match purely and simply because it was just a complete surprise. Um, so I'm probably bordering on a six out of ten for this episode. Actually, I think it was a significant improvement from last week's. Oh wow, six out of ten. That is uh, that's quite something, Stu. That is quite something. So that is it for this week on Mid South Moments. We'll be back next week with the October nineteenth, uh, nineteen eighty five episode of Mid South Wrestling, where we're going to be doing a watch along. So until then, thank you very much for listening, and we shall speak to you all again very very soon. Hello everybody, I am Ricky Morton of the Rock and Roll Express and if you would like to purchase some merchandise from World's number one Mid-South Wrestling Podcast check it out, all the products that's on redbubble.com People, Mid-South Moments they have everything from t-shirts, phone cases, mugs remember now, redbubble.com People, Mid-South moments thanks very much ricky and that link again is redbubble.com forward slash people forward slash mid south moments